0: The Russian economy is in freefall. Economists at Morgan Chase expect the Russian economy to contract a whopping 7% this year. Goldman Sachs thinks the damage could be worse, predicting a 9% contraction in the Russian economy. Virtually every major corporation in the world has stopped doing business in Russia. BP, Shell, and ExxonMobil have pulled out of energy deals. Apple, Google, and Facebook have blocked the Kremlin from their platforms. CNN has stopped broadcasting in Russia, which shows that not everything is so bad in that country. Every storm cloud has a silver lining. But other than not having to stare at Brian Stelter anymore, things are going about as poorly in Russia as they possibly could. By targeting Russia's central bank with sanctions, an unprecedented tactic, the West has collapsed the Russian ruble, nearly two-thirds of the $630 billion in the central bank's foreign exchange reserves were frozen overnight. A financial expert summed up his take on the situation by drinking live on Russian television to the death of their stock market. (laughs) Worst-case scenario, he says, I'm going to go work as Santa Claus, like I did 25 Uh, years ago. uh, Jokes aside, let's do this quickly. I send regards to Sergei Ushenko, who drank 12, 13 years ago to the death of the stock market. Today, I'm drinking carbonated water. Dear stock market, you were close to us. You were interesting. Rest in peace, dear comrade. The host says, I'm not going to comment on this stunt because I don't want to believe it. The West just wrecked Russia, and with good reason. Vladimir Putin invaded a smaller, weaker neighboring country. Whatever the nuances, nothing comes anywhere near justifying an all-out Russian invasion. Nothing could justify the shelling of civilian centers. And yet, Putin's main domestic political rival has complained that we in the West keep falling into Putin's traps we might be doing it again. There are lots of people right now on the left and the right clamoring to send Russia back to the stone age with sanctions or missiles or both. The economic crisis we've inflicted is already 40 to 80% worse than Russia's last worst economic catastrophe in 1998. Some analysts predict it could eventually be three times worse than the collapse of 1998 when Russia defaulted on its debt The economic catastrophe, coincidentally, that launched Putin to power in the first place. The White House is confident that Joe Biden's got everything under control. I was at the State Department. The president was the vice president the last time Russia invaded Ukraine. This is a pattern of horror from this president, from President Putin and from the cronies around him. This is a pattern. This is a pattern of horror. Do you see the pattern? The pattern is that every time Biden goes up against Putin. Putin wins. The White House wants regime change in Russia. It worked out so well in Iraq and Egypt and Libya. Why not give it another go in a nuclear former superpower without any clear popular opposition leader? What could go wrong? But even if it's the right idea to take Putin out, our leaders may very well have just entrenched him, or maybe someone even worse, in power. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Unfortunately, our current crop of rulers don't seem to know anything at all. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on Friday is from How Dare You, who says, If Michael keeps saying, I told you so, we shall call him Knowles Stradamus. Many people are doing that already. I'm I'm not saying I'm doing that. I'm saying many people are calling me Noel Stradamus because it would appear, I'm noticing a pattern of seeing through the liberal lies and propaganda. I can just see through things that are frequently difficult to see through. I can see through my window treatments. And when you want really good window treatments, I would strongly recommend you check out Hunter Douglas. Right now, go to HunterDouglas.com slash Knowles. I did not realize back when I was an ignorant bachelor how important window treatments are for your home. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say window treatments might be the single most important thing you can do for your home. Because window treatments determine how the light comes into your home. And the light hitting your home is what makes it so beautiful. Hunter Douglas can help you. They've got innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Maybe it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room, or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and lowering utility bills, something really important right now. Whatever it is, head on over to hunterdouglas.com slash Knowles today. Get your free style, get smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. HunterDouglas.com slash Knowles. Head on over there for your free design guide. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about Russia. I'm not, I am not pretending to be a Russia expert or a Ukraine expert, but I think I might be the only blue check on social media who is not an overnight Russia and Ukraine expert. I think I might be the only person (laughs) on social media who doesn't claim to have all of the answers for this Many centuries-long regional conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Unfortunately, though, it's not only the blue checks who are going crazy, it's it's some of our elected leaders too. You expect it from the blue checks, you expect expect it from Hollywood. Patricia Arquette, who is she's an actress, she's won some awards, I forget what movies she's been in, she blocked me on Twitter, but she's very left-wing. She tweeted out her solution to the Ukraine conflict. She said, quote, kick Russia out of NATO. <laughs> now, uh, NATO, of course, is a treaty organization whose sole purpose is to oppose Russia. So obviously, Russia is, is not in NATO. Russia could not be in NATO. Uh, that, would, that would take away the very purpose of NATO. And yet, I suspect that Patricia Arquette is not much more ignorant on this subject than most people Around there, Bette Midler, another wonderful uh, actress of a certain age with very certain political opinions, she tweeted out a picture of Volodymyr Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine, in the Obama 2008 style—that kind of artistic agitprop style—that says "Hope" underneath it. Zelensky—he's standing firm. He's dis- displaying a great deal of courage and heroism, sure. What are the odds, do you think, that Bette Midler could point to Ukraine on a map? Forget what are the odds that Bette Midler could tell you anything about Vladimir Zelensky, including his first name, could tell you anything about the oligarchy in Ukraine, could tell you anything about their political system whatsoever. Do you think she could even identify the country on a map? Absolutely not. Of course not. And yet she is so enthusiastic. She's so gung-ho. She knows exactly what this is about. What we need to do, we need to exalt. Zelensky, we need to do everything we can to punish Russia. Widespread economic sanctions, destroy the central bank, regime change in Russia. It's not just her. Lindsey Graham, a a sitting United States Senator said what what he believes the solution is, is to, to hire someone, to find someone, to put a bullet in Putin's head. How does this end? Somebody in Russia has to step up to the plate is there Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stoppenberg in the (coughs) Russian military? The only way this ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country a great service and the world a great service. Lindsey Graham, of course, has never seen a regime on earth that he does not want to topple. And Vladimir Putin is a really bad guy. Okay, I get it. I get why people would want to go assassinate Putin. Now, let me ask you the next question. And maybe it's a question we should have asked before we insisted on regime change in Libya or Egypt or Iraq or Syria, although that one actually didn't work because Assad held on to power. Let me ask you this question. What happens next? What happens next? You take out Putin. Okay, I'm with you. Then who takes over the extremely chaotic, historically corrupt nuclear former superpower? Who assumes power? Do you have, the, none of these people have any answers. I suspect that Lin- Lindsey Graham might have an answer. The, the smart set Washington DC answer is the person who takes power is Alexei Navalny. Alexei Navalny is a relatively pro-Western opposition leader. He's been Putin's thorn in Putin's side for many years now. Putin has jailed him, so Navalny is in prison. He's the one who says that we keep falling into Putin's hands. Alexei Navalny, I have, I've got a poll right here of Alexei Navalny's approval and disapproval ratings. This is from uh, uh, Levada. This is the Levada Center, which is not a pro, it's a Russian center. It's not pro-Putin. Actually, a lot of Putin's associates want to blacklist Levada from Russia as a foreign agent that's trying to topple his regime. Okay, so this is as hostile to Putin as it gets. Approve, disapprove, on the only opposition leader in in Russia. Approve, and this is between 18 to 24-year-olds, 25 to 39-year-olds, 40 to 54-year-olds, and 55 plus. Approve, 24%, 22%, 11% among people in their 40s or 8% among people 55 plus. What are the disapproved numbers? 59%, 51%, 69%, 67%. The numbers don't work. This guy's about as popular as Joe Biden is in America. So depending on how they conduct the election, maybe Navalny could win. He's not popular. This is not a viable option, especially if we're talking about getting rid of the corrupt oligarchy and bringing democracy to Russia, and then we'll all live peacefully. That's not going to work. So I- I get the, the good intentions here. We want to destroy Russia's economy. We've never destroyed a country's economy like we're destroying Russia right now. Make them suffer. Make Putin sweat. And, and then what? And then what? It was a devastating economic collapse that brought Putin to power in the first place. If anything, I suspect these sanctions have probably strengthened Putin's grip on power. Now, it might destroy the economy so much that he just can't keep funding the war. But I don't think this is going to lead to regime change. This is something conservatives know that liberals and more uh, adventurous sorts of politicians don't seem to get. Sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Thankfully, Libya was not a superpower, a nuclear superpower. (laughs) It was never a superpower, but luckily it it was not a nuclear power when we took out Gaddafi. But what if it had been? Do we, do we think that Libya is better today after regime change? I don't. Egypt, I don't. Iraq even, probably not. What are we doing? I know we have good intentions with these Russian sanctions, with trying to push regime change in, in Russia. I know it's good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, Kamala Harris has much more important matters to deal with than the war in Ukraine, a a former superpower threatening nuclear holocaust on the world. She's got much more important things to deal with, namely the Equality Act. Yes, the Equality Act uh, uh, is this rule, this law that the left is pushing to redefine men as women and women as men and, and create civil rights protections for gender identity and sexual orientation. She says, let's send the Equality Act to President Biden's desk. We must increase protections for LGBTQ plus Americans across the country. The onslaught of state bills targeting transgender Americans and their families is wrong. We must. We, don't, we just don't talk about LGBT enough in America, right? That's our problem. We don't talk about a very, very small percentage of people with eccentric sexual desires and preferences and ideologies. We don't talk about that enough. We don't have- um, two full months of the year dedicated to talking about it. We don't have every corporation in the country and school and many churches, frankly, flying rainbow flags all the time to talk about a handful of eccentric sexual desires. No, no, we need to talk about it more. Not everything has to be gay. (laughs) Not everything, okay? Not every single thing in the country has to be gay, except it does, except it does. You know, the, the conservative answer to the insanely aggressive LGBT push over in recent decades, which has now led to redefining marriage, for goodness sakes, for the first time ever <laughs> in this kind of radical way, redefining sex itself, getting rid of women's bathrooms, getting rid of women's sports. It's, it's been so aggressive. And what the conservatives have said is, look, do whatever you want. Frankly, I don't really care that much what you do in the privacy of your own home. Just uh, don't make it a, a public thing. Don't make me participate in it. And that was always going to be a, a losing strategy. When people now respond, I think it was Blake Masters, the, the Republican Senate candidate in, where is it, Arizona, who said, not everything has to be gay. Every Actually, I mean, I love, Blake Masters is a terrific candidate. But the joke there is everything does have to be gay. <laughs> and everything has to be gay because this is not really about sexual preference or some long oppressed minority. This is about the left's entire animating ideology of liberation. What the left is after is liberation. I know that seems a little bit weird because the left is always talking about equality and it's the right that's always talking about liberty. But the left is after liberation too. While the right is after liberation from taxes and government regulations, the left is after a deeper kind of liberation. Liberation from tradition. Liberation from social roles, free the women from the kitchen, free the the oppressed racial minorities from their condition, from their legal strictures against them, free even beyond the law, even beyond tradition, free the men who think they're women from having to actually be men, free people from biology, free people from nature free people from reality. This is not a moderate kind of political liberation to change some rules about the way different groups are treated. This is about a fundamental assault on nature. If liberation is now about forcing everyone, right, coercing everyone to pretend that men who are confused are actually women, that is a liberation that demands being freed from reality itself, As Whitaker Chambers said, it's the second oldest ideology in the world. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when the serpent told Eve, Ye shall be as gods. You can create your own realities. What Anthony Kennedy said in the uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision, now 30 years ago, he said that at the heart of liberty is the right to define your own concept of existence. Antonin Scalia made fun of this as the sweet mystery of life passage. (laughs) I don't know where in the Constitution it says that you've got the right to define your own concept of existence. Obviously, you don't. Defining your own concept of existence is what little confused children do when they play pretend in the backyard. That's not what adults do. That's not what rational, educated people do if they want to live in society. But that is the ideology. And so it won't stop. It can't stop. Even at the brink of World War III, Kamala Harris has to talk about transgenderism. Because that is the next step. That is at the heart of this. People have to talk about the metaverse. We have to talk about transhumanism, frankly. We need to talk about liberating ourselves from every single bond, including the natural ones. Everything's got to be gay. So I learned from Metro Magazine. This article's a little old, but it's making the rounds again, and I had to bring it up. I couldn't miss it. Metro Magazine informed me of of something that was pretty... uh, Pretty surprising. Straight men in bromances kiss, cuddle, and stand around naked together. Hmm. Did, didn't know that. Uh, a bromance has been defined as an emotionally intense bond between straight men. In the conclusion of this study, it's very, very scientific, uh, the authors wrote, they spoke about their desire to cuddle and hug with their bromantic friends. Uh, some agreed that this was the case when asked, whereas others offered it unsolicited as, as part of their definition of bromance. In all, 29 of the 30 men who took part in this study said they had cuddled with their uh, bromantic partner. This latest work backs a 2012 study that found 89% of 145 surveyed undergraduate heterosexual men had kissed, uh, kissed their, their bros. Their bro, the bros, straight men, Most straight men, the vast majority of straight men kiss and cuddle with their friends and stand around naked, right? Now, look, I'm no scientist, okay? I don't have an advanced degree in statistics or sociology or whatever. I don't think straight men do this. Maybe, look, this is a British paper and the Brits have always been a little bit light in the loafers that way, so maybe that's possible. I just don't think it's the case. I think actually, ontology tells us that's not the case. I think the nature of being a straight man tells you that's not the case. Because by definition, straight men would not uh, hang around and kiss and cuddle with their friends. This is something I wrote about in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which became a number one national bestseller last year, thanks to you. And it's coming out in paperback again. And I really want to jump up the charts so that I can stick it in the eye of the New York Times. Anyway, that's a digression. I talked about how the left gains power by redefining words. Well, you see it here. Straight men used to be men. The definition of a straight man was men who don't cuddle and kiss their male friends. And now the left is redefining straight man to man who kisses and cuddles with his male friends. So now there are no straight men. this is this is erasure. this is this is the way they take control of society on the left. They just redefine everything, and they have to. Don't think this is some, Diversion. I think this is a, a trap that the, the the right actually fell into. This with political correctness. They said, "Oh, who cares? Political correctness isn't a big deal. It's kind of a silly distraction from more important things like cutting taxes and getting new free trade deals." Oh, forget that they're redefining women and redefining men and redefining our whole country and redefining the founding as evil. And you know, forget about that for a second. Let's just focus on cutting taxes and manufacturing more stuff in China, and that'll help GDP. And that's all that matters. No, th- this is this is the issue. Frankly, the war in Ukraine is a distraction. And, and Kamala Harris knows it, and the left knows it. We should learn it too. Speaking of gay men and the uh, war in Ukraine, it's a strange, strange uh, transition, perhaps. Uh, George Takei. George Takei has a message for all of the impoverished, struggling families out there who are making really difficult decisions, who can't make ends meet because the price of everything is going up, and especially the price of gas. He says, suck it up. Quote, Americans, we can endure higher prices for food and gas if it means putting the screws to Putin. Consider it a patriotic donation in the fight for freedom over tyranny. More piercing political commentary from Hollywood. You had Bette Midler, you had Patricia Arquette. Now you have- Commander Darth Vader or something. I don't know. I'm not a huge sci-fi fan. I guess he was on Star Trek. George Takei says, suck it up. Th- now, I'm not surprised. He's, this guy is obviously completely out of touch. He's an elderly man without children who is a multimillionaire. He doesn't need to worry about money. He doesn't know the cost of anything. I'm sure he has assistants do all of his shopping for him anyway. So it's not a big deal. For families who have, let's say, multiple kids who, are, who don't have that good Star Trek paycheck coming in, uh, probably it's a little tougher. Okay, but George Takei, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't understand that. That's not surprising. What's shocking to me in this tweet is one word, one word. The word is patriotic. He says it's a patriotic donation if you screw up your own country's economy to help this issue in Ukraine to fight against Russia in this regional conflict. Patriotic. How is it patriotic? Am I a citizen of Ukraine? I don't think so. What he's, what George Takei is saying is that Ukraine is a part of America. Ironically, what George Takei is saying here is that Vladimir Putin's right that Ukraine actually is just an American client state, that America has this broad sweeping empire. It's spread out all over the world. Now it's right up on Russia's border, and Russia is taking defensive action, just like America would if Russia had invaded Mexico, and Mexico were a Russian client state. Now, I am I don't think that that's exactly the situation that we're looking at. But ironically, that is what George Takei is saying. That is what a lot of the left is saying. And they want to have it both ways, and they can't. That's magical thinking. On the one hand, they want America to be the empire over all the world. They want America to rule and crush local cultures, and crush local desires, and impose our will on the world. And then on the other, they think America's evil and terrible, and they don't want us forcing other countries to do a damn thing. And they don't want us getting involved in any other country on earth, and they want us to mind our own business, and actually they want us to give the land back to the Indians. They want two completely opposite things, and they want them both at the same time, which is why their commentary is so confused. But this is a problem not just for idiots in Hollywood. This is a problem in America. It's a kind of schizophrenia in the American foreign policy. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And it's why we keep messing up our own interests around the world. This Thursday night, March 10th, we're premiering yet another movie. I cannot wait to share this one with you. The movie is called The Hyperions. It's exactly what entertainment in Hollywood is missing these days. It's not woke. It's got zero underlying partisan message. It's just an excellent film because when it comes to entertainment, that's really what matters. Check out the trailer. Good day, Hyperion Club members. We've come for one thing, our Titan badges. This Titan badge can grant an individual superhuman power. Perhaps it's time for someone else to take on the responsibility. On my way. She's trying to destroy me. I watched the movie on Saturday night. It's terrific. I really, I really love this movie. We're going to be streaming the movie once on March 10th for all of YouTube to see. So be sure to head over to Daily Wire, uh, the YouTube channel for the live showing. And then head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe so that you don't miss any more of our growing cache of content that we've got to offer. Also, we've got a new show coming up. It's the comment section streaming now. It features our newest addition to the DW lineup of hosts, Brett Cooper. The comment section is an irreverent, viral content and news review show that offers an against the grain laid back perspective on all the insanity of today and will even take you into one of the scariest places the online world has to offer the comment section. The show is streaming now on YouTube for all to see. Make sure you subscribe to the comment section with Brett Cooper. Click the notification bell so you don't miss it. We'll be right back with a lot more. George Takei and lots of other Hollywood liberals, and actually the White House and the entire ruling class, they say, look, your gas is going up because of our stupid energy policy and our stupid policy on Russia and Ukraine. And yeah, we bungled it all. And now we're going to bungle it even more. And we're going to send gas going even further up through the roof. But hey, just suck it up. That's your patriotic duty. And Biden can afford it. And Saki can afford it. And George Takei and Bette Midler and Patricia Arquette, they can all afford it. But- most Americans cannot, like mothers in Michigan, who've got to decide between filling up their gas tanks and buying clothing for their kids. It has consumers like mother of two Lauren Strickstein watching their budgets? It's a horrible situation. I'm scared for how high the prices are going to go. And Keisha Townsend of Southfield is too. Yeah, because you got you need gas to get to work and stuff like that. So yeah, you got to cut back on the certain things just to get you know get some gas and stuff. Yeah, I have to think about. Putting gasoline prices before buying my kids' clothes right now. So these are really hard decisions for Americans. And to what end? To what end? We covered this on the show last week. Joe Biden shut down American energy, shut down American oil pipelines to support a Russian oil pipeline called Nord Stream 2, a Russian oil pipeline that gave Russia a direct route. To the European oil market that cut out the middleman of Ukraine, which essentially rolled out the red carpet for Putin to invade Ukraine. And we all knew that that was going to happen. And conservatives warned Joe Biden about this. And that's why there were sanctions in place in the first place that Joe Biden intentionally and lobbied really hard to get removed. Then Putin literally invades, or Biden literally invades Putin to invade. He says, look, if it's just a minor incursion, it's not a big deal. We won't really do anything. Putin does invade. Now we put the sanctions back on the pipeline, sanctions that Joe Biden made a point of removing that if we just left them in place, Putin almost certainly wouldn't have invaded. We put the sanctions back on. We then put way more sanctions on Russia, and it sends American gas through the roof again. And the White House all the while says, no, we're not going to drill here. No, we're not going to build more pipelines. No, we're going to try to get off of oil. Why? So now we're going to import more Iranian oil. We're pre, Until just a few days ago, we were importing more Russian oil. What? To stop climate change? Because Russian oil doesn't tick off the sun gods? Iranian oil isn't bad for the climate? No, it's only American oil. We can burn any. We can burn the oil here. It's just only when the American oil gets burned. That's what irritates the sun monster and brings on Armageddon. Does any of that make sense? What's the, what's the upshot of it? What's the end, end of it? Well, the end of it is that these mothers can't afford to buy their kids' clothing because of this stupid policy. It's like the stupidest policy they could possibly make. And the reason for that policy is not even- that Biden has a totally formed ideology that he's just ruthlessly pursuing. He's not. The problem actually is that they keep vacillating. They keep going back and forth. The problem is that if you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get hit by a truck. We want the the sanctions on the pipeline. We don't want the sanctions on the pipeline. We want Putin to be able to invade. We don't want him to be able to, this, that, this, that, back and forth and back and forth. And it comes down to what George DeKay insinuated. Does America wanna be a global empire where Ukraine really is part of America and we're gonna defend it just like it were Idaho and an attack on Ukraine is an attack on all Americans? Or does America wanna mind its own business and not really have all these commitments around the world? and not be the world's police, and not occupy Libya, and Iraq, and Syria, and all these other places. And then allow, I don't know, Russia to move in, or allow China to move in, and allow these world powers to grow, and grow, and grow, and challenge American hegemony. And Oops, we don't like that, so now we're gonna go back in again, and we go back and forth, and back and forth. Sometimes, actually, a wrong decision is better than indecision. This indecision is causing a lot of problems. You see, now we're, we're leaning much more in the America world police, the American empire, We're the globalist regime and everyone needs to submit to us. Nancy Pelosi just held a photo op on the steps of the Capitol. She, she desecrated an American flag for this photo op. She, she was holding up with a lot of other lawmakers. There were probably a couple squish Republicans in there too. Holding up this flag, it's an American flag, but the bottom of the flag is not red and white stripes. It's yellow and blue stripes. As if to say, America and Ukraine are the same thing. I pledge allegiance to Ukraine and the United Countries of the American Empire. That's what she's saying here. You know, New York, Texas, Tennessee, California, they each just get stars. Ukraine gets half the flag. A violation of the flag code, not that anyone really cares about that anymore, especially on the left you remember during the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, the, the campaign took a picture of a flag crumpled up, thrown on the ground. They thought it looked kind of artsy and cool. No sense that that's wrong. It's actually wrong to do to your country. Not, su- not surprising, actually, to uh, an American left, which now regularly desecrates and, and disrespects the flag. But this is some crazy thinking. I don't think the most war hawky, bullish, neocon, George W. Bush cowboy would support this kind of radicalism. To say, actually, our, half of our country is just Ukraine now. That's what we care about. That's, but that's what Pelosi is saying. That's what a lot of people are saying. That, that's not the kind of system our constitution sets up. But then the left will go even further, and they'll say that our constitution is trash. They will literally say that. On The View, Ellie Mistal, who you may have seen him on MSNBC or CNN. Actually, you probably haven't because you don't watch those channels. But <laughs> but he's he writes for The Nation. He's a, a left-wing political analyst of some prominence. Ellie Mistal goes on. He's speaking to the cackling hens on The View. They're saying, cluck, 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 cluck. And then the, somehow the Constitution comes up. And Ellie Mistal, he comes out and says the quiet part out loud. He says he hates the Constitution. Some will say, okay, so are you arguing for throwing out the Constitution? Should the Constitution be thrown out? What do we do? Is it a living document is it a or is it a sacred document? It's certainly not sacred, all right? Let's start there. <laughs> the Constitution is kind of trash. Now, let's just, again, let's just talk as adults, for second. What did you say, it's what? It's, it's kind of tra- trash. trash. It, was, it was written by slavers and colonists and white people who were willing to make deals with slavers and colonists. They didn't ask anybody who looked like me what they thought about the Constitution. Let's talk like adults for a second. Yes, nothing says talking like an adult. Like Ellie Mistal on The View. Yes, that, how, how mature, how responsible, and sophisticated. Certainly not sacred, our Constitution, and it's kind of trash. He's talking like a, a freshman in high school. Let's talk like adults. It's kind of trash. <laughs> and, and then Joy Behar. You look over, Joy Behar, pretty left wing. Pretty disrespectful of America in many ways. She hears this and even she, she goes, what did you say? It's, you said it's trash? When you are too far left for Joy Behar, you have gone really far. But I suspect Ellie Mistal is actually representing the accurate perception of the constitution on the left. I don't think he's just some crazy fringe element. I mean, the left has been telling us this for years. They protest the American flag on football fields and elsewhere. They denigrate the founding fathers and the framers of the Constitution, as he does, as slavers. They're slavers. It's, so that's why they, they, everything they ever touched was terrible and turned to ash, like this wonderful country that has allowed me to prosper. Even me, Ellie Mistal, a dum-dum. Uh, they're tra- it's total trash. Of course, you, know, you notice the people who denigrate our forebears. They never look at the things we're doing right now that our posterity might say about us. They they never imagine that some someday hundreds of years from now, people will look back at Ellie Mastal and the women of the view and say these people were trash. They defended killing almost a million babies a year and they pretended it was some sort of sacred right. These people are trash. <laughs> these, you know you want to compare the founders and the framers to anyone? At least they weren't killing a million babies a year. Okay. Actually, what, whatever the and and also by the way. Most of the founders and framers, virtually all of them, had deep moral misgivings about slavery, and a lot of them wanted to get rid of it. Even at the time of the Constitution, it was just politically impossible. Putting that aside, if you're, if you're comparing heaps of trash, you know, everyone's trash. All fall short of the glory of God, all sin. Everyone's trash. It would seem to me that the view and Ellie Mistal certainly beats the uh, founders and framers in magnitude and stench of the trash. But the battle right now, you'll notice, is over not the Constitution. When Ellie Mistal says the Constitution is terrible and trash, he doesn't actually make an argument about the Constitution. He makes an argument about the people who wrote the Constitution. And he says these were bad people, therefore throw out the Constitution. So the and and this is this has defined you know it's it's actually a pretty telling clip, even though the things that he's saying are extremely stupid. It's telling because that's what our battle over who we are as a country has been about. It's not really about the principles of the Constitution. On the rare occasion that someone brings up a principle of the Constitution, they usually do so to misrepresent it. They'll say, you know, in the Constitution, slaves were only counted as three-fifths of people. Can you believe that? Those racists. Those, well, do you know what the three-fifths compromise was? Do you know what the point of that was? Yeah. Yeah, they said, the founders said that the slaves were three-fifths. Well, actually, there were two groups. One group wanted the slaves to be counted as fully as people, and the other group didn't want the slaves to be counted as people at all. And the, the group that wanted the slaves to be counted fully as people were the slavers. Usually people who invoke the three-fifths compromise as some terrible aspect of American history don't realize that. It was the slaveholders who wanted the slaves to be counted as fully as people because they wanted more representation in the Congress, in no small part, to better entrench slavery. It was the northerners and the people who opposed slavery, who didn't want the slaves to be counted at all because they wanted to reduce the influence of the Southern slaveholding states in the government. So on the rare occasion that someone brings up a provision of the Constitution, it's usually just to misrepresent it. Usually the battle is over the founders and the framers. Jefferson had slaves and Washington had slaves. And so the founders were bad. And then on the right, you have people say, no, the founders were really good and they were smart and they gave us a good country. And therefore, because the founders were good and the framers were good, we should support the Constitution. And on the left, they say, no, because the founders and the framers were bad, we should oppose the Constitution. There is a third way here, though. And I think this would be the better way for conservatives to defend our country. The left has already done a great job in the cultural battle of tearing down the statues, of denigrating Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln, actually, the refounding of the country. What if we focus on the principles themselves? And what if we focus on our constitutional system and and the law in general, not just as some random preference of some old guys in the late 18th century, a preference that could be good or bad, depending on your view of these guys. What if we view the law as something that is objective, that is objectively true? What if we start making points like, hey, the commandment, thou shalt not commit murder, is just true. It's true whether dudes in Philadelphia think it's true or not. It's, it's a part of the natural law. It's a part of the transcendent moral order that is just always true. And from that natural law, we get other laws, more particular laws that you might call it the law of nations. Adrian Vermeule, the conservative Harvard law professor, has a good book out about this. And from the law, after the law of nations at the smaller level, you have the civil law. And then we have the particular laws that we all make in our own towns and states and in our own countries. But what if the process of of law were not so much making law, just pulling it out of thin air, but what if it were actually discovering law, that some things are true, whether whether we want them to be, whether we don't want them to be. What if we ground our defense of America in that, that some things are just true, and some things are just good, and it's not about the personal virtues or foibles of any founders or framers, it's about what's good, and what's true. What if we had the guts to actually say that and defend that? You're seeing the parents do this now. The parents are going into these schools and they're talking to PhD administrators who have advanced degrees and great experience in critical race theory and have studied all this kind of kooky academic ideology, CRT, transgenderism. And these parents are going in and they say, look, I don't give a damn about your stupid degrees. I don't care how many years you spent studying these lunatics. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's, It's just bad and wrong, and ugly, and we're not going to have it. I think that would put us on much sounder footing. It would allow us to oppose the, the caprice and the, the absolute arbitrariness of the way we are ruled right now. The, the way we've been ruled for two years in particular has been purely arbitrary. And now the left wants you to believe right now that, that that's over. We're, we're moving. COVID is over. The rule of the Dr. Fauci's, that's totally over. Don't worry, we're getting back to normal. Never mind, nothing to see here. Move on, move on, move on. Do not let them lull you into complacency. Their arbitrary, capricious rule is not even close to over. And they're even admitting it, if you know where to look. They're telling us now, on the left, because their poll numbers are in the trash, that that uh, COVID, it's okay, it's over. We're going to lift some restrictions. Don't worry, Dr. Fauci, he's not on TV quite as much anymore. Don't worry. Don't be angry about us for locking your kids away from home and sticking them with experimental drugs for two years and not letting you have weddings and funerals and see your loved ones and go to work and for tanking the economy and for effectively booting out the president that who is relatively popular and taking away your right to go to church and taking away so many of your liberties. And and am I'm sorry, Never mind, we're moving on. Forget about it. Until November. Until November. Don't, don't let them lull you into believing that COVID and the COVID regime and the rule of Dr. Fauci is over. It's not over. It's just really, really unpopular right now in an election year, but it's not over and they're admitting it. Here's, here's a headline just from the past few days. Top New York City officials call for student COVID-19 vaccine mandate by next school year. So they're They're relaxing it right now. They're starting to relax it right now, even in New York. But they want it back next year. They want it back next year because after the midterm elections, they can pull all this crap again. New York Times, the Surgeon General calls on big tech to turn over COVID-19 misinformation data. So the Surgeon General, the Biden administration, is calling on social media companies to turn over all of your data on whoever dissented even once from the Dr. Fauci regime. For what purpose? So that they can just store it away in a drawer and not look at it? No, to punish you, to investigate anyone who dissented in any way. If this were over, if the Dr. Fauci rule, if the COVID rule were over, would they be demanding this information? Of course not. It It would have no purpose. But they are demanding it because it's not over. New York Times, Politico, Senate votes to end COVID-19 emergency declaration. Biden threatens veto. Wait a second. I thought this was over. I thought we were moving on. I thought we had to focus on Ukraine. I thought we had to focus on energy prices. I thought it's not over. It's not over. I actually had forgotten that they still had the emergency declaration. Because it's, it's, been so, it's ridiculous. Some of us, I know that uh, the commenter at the top of the show called me Noel Stradamus. Thank you very much. Some of us called this two years ago. And said they're never going to give you your power back unless you take it back. Dr. Fauci is never going to let up unless you fire Dr. Fauci. Unless you call your congressman and senator and have them sign the Michael Knowles Public Health Protection Pledge to make sure that you investigate, subpoena, and zero out Dr. Fauci's salary when the Republicans retake the House. They're not going to give your power back to you unless you take it. Well, they still have this emergency declaration. Why is Biden threatening to veto this? He's almost certainly going to veto this why? It's over. Omicron is down. The Delta's down. We don't need to wear the masks, except we kind of do. We do have to wear the masks on airplanes and on trains and in government buildings. And hold on, wait. It's like it's not over. It's like they're just trying to lull us into a false sense of complacency so that we can just, they can hold on to power just a little bit longer and then they're going to do it all again. Those three articles, that's just from March 3rd. That's just from what, two, three days ago? That's it. More more coming out every day if you know where to look. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, is is demanding that children under five years old mask up because they can't vaccinate. Three-year-olds need to mask up. Three-year-olds who are at virtually no risk from the coronavirus and pose virtually no risk to anybody else. They're still clinging on. Don't let them get away with this. They are so slippery. They're so good at evading responsibility. Jen Psaki at the White House is being asked, hey, hey, Jen Psaki, how come the whole country's turning to ash ever since Joe Biden got elected? How come, just to name the most immediate problem for us, how come gas is going through the roof and what's Biden gonna do about it? The reason why the price of gas is going up is not because of steps the president has taken. They are because President Putin is invading Ukraine and that is creating a great deal of instability in the global marketplace. Sure. The reason the price of gas going up is not because of steps that Biden has taken, though actually there are some steps that Biden took, like killing the oil pipelines that are causing gas rights. But no, it's not because of steps that Biden took. It's because Putin is invading Ukraine because of steps that Biden took. That's why Putin's invading Ukraine. Because Biden did that, because Biden literally told him to explicitly told him he could invade Ukraine. And now gas is going up and it is Biden's fault. But a lot of, a lot of people in this country who tune in only to CNN and the Washington Post and NBC and CBS and whatever, they're going to believe that. They're going to say, oh, it's Putin's fault, right? Why is it Putin's fault? Because of what Biden is doing. These guys are pretty radical, the ruling class is pretty radical. You want to hear an example of this? We we usually think of the Supreme Court as being one of the moderating influences in America. They never quite give the conservatives what they want. Even the liberals haven't totally been happy in recent years with the court. The Supreme Court just ruled to reinstate the death penalty for the Boston Marathon bomber. So you, you remember the Boston Marathon bomber, this guy, they got him dead to rights. He planned the attack. He killed people. He injured lots of other people. And he, he got the death sentence. Then an appeals court took away the death sentence in, in 2020 for this guy. Why? Because they said, oh, well, he uh, maybe his brother, who he committed the attack with, maybe his brother was more responsible than he was. So anyway, let's take away the death penalty. It was basically for no reason. They just didn't want to kill him because they don't like the death penalty. So that goes up to the Supreme Court. And The Supreme Court makes the right decision, but we have a 6-3 conservative court. That means that three justices, three liberals on the Supreme Court, which are supposed to be the most moderate, normal, reasonable people in the country, at least in politics, they decided that they didn't want the Boston Marathon bomber, an actual terrorist in America who killed people, who injured children... They didn't want him to receive the death penalty that he already received. It's not even like the Supreme Court had to decide, well, you know, what, should we put him 30 years in prison? Should we give him the death penalty? No, he was already sentenced to the death penalty. The Supreme Court just had to say, okay, that's fine. And three judges wouldn't do that. That's how radical we're talking here, okay? That's how blinded by ideology these people are, all right? This, we are in a very tense moment here where even the most elite, supposedly moderate, reasonable liberals are so far out there that they're basically not speaking the same language as we are here in the United States. And now we're running away in the next panic, and we're going to run away in the next panic, and the next panic, and the next panic. And it's all with the best of intentions, and we all post the pictures to social media, and we all say, I stand with this new cause, and and I'm, I'm now totally, and we're, we're taking our eyes off the ball of our own domestic political troubles. We're not Fixing our own country. We're just being swept away by ideology. We're making mistake after mistake after mistake, which is what happens to people who don't know history. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley audio mixer, Mike Koromina, and hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Russia calls off humanitarian deals and ratchets up indiscriminate military attacks. Vladimir Putin cracks down on dissent, threatens a wider war, and the West talks about chipping planes into Ukraine. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.